You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Joel from Phi 180, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, this is Chris, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hey, this is the Early Retirement Dude from EarlyRetirementDude.com, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. I'm Travis Hornsby, founder of Student Loan Planner, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, Doc, we have a question today with four panelists, and we're asking, can I quit yet? It's a conversation that most of us are thinking about if we're on the path to financial independence. And we're going to have each of the guests do a quick introduction and then jump into the topic. Joel, do you mind going first, please? Can you give us a little introduction, please? Sure. Uh, I'm Joel. I have the blog phi180.com. And some of your listeners might know me from the Choose a Phi podcast or the uh, Bigger Pockets podcast. And my wife and I, our claim to fame is that we went from spending six figures back in 2012 to finally turning everything around and uh, reaching financial independence in 2018. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here and excited to be on the panel. Thanks for coming out and joining us. Early retirement dude, can you give us a quick introduction, please, sir? Yeah, sure thing. I retired in 2005, and I find that that tends to be one of the kind of longer periods of retirement in the, uh, you know, sort of in this space. On my blog, I don't so much write about the nuts and bolts of how to retire early. I try to talk more about kind of the philosophy, you know, and the mindset, you know, ought to be behind it. And I try to do that with humor and encouragement and encouraging people to move in positive directions. And I work towards kind of writing about the deeper stuff. My theory is that, you know, the thing that you're most afraid to reveal is probably what you need most to reveal. So that's my angle. Mm, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. Chris, can you give us a quick introduction, please? Yep. So my name is Chris. I'm a member of the U.S. military, scheduled to likely retire here in the next couple of years, and uh, discovered financial independence a little over a year ago. And I guess my claim to fame, since I'm not a blogger or a podcaster, is I was able to basically overhaul my finances and go from a zero to about a 35% savings rate in under a year. And I'm uh, still chipping away at that. Uh, Really fascinated by the life optimization strategy of all of this and uh, excited to be a part of the podcast today. Fantastic. Okay. Well, lastly to Travis, can you give us a quick introduction and then we'll jump into the topic. 
I was a bond trader and then I retired at 25 and found out that you can only see so many cathedrals in Europe before things get a little bored. So I followed my wife to St. Louis, founded a student loan consulting company, and we've advised half a billion dollars of student loan debt. All right. So ER Dude, I'm going to start with you. It seems to me that most people don't enter the workforce thinking, boy, I can't wait to quit. Usually there's some type of trigger or trigger event that pushes them on that road. Was there a trigger that made you start thinking about early retirement? When I was in grad school, I was working in commercial radio, basically in music. And I was in MBA school and the pressure was to get a quote, good job, a corporate job. But when I did that, I was miserable inside of two weeks. I had traded in this great lifestyle for one that was not so great. And I remember it was, it was summer and one day I was kind of staring out the window and I realized that all of my friends were out in the outdoors, you know, kayaking and drinking beer and such. And I was stuck in this office and I went back to my cubicle and started crunching numbers like that very hour, knowing that I had to get out of the environment or I was going to go nuts. I just wasn't built that way. Joel, you mentioned a car accident maybe for your wife, right? Yeah, that's right. I knew something was wrong with my work-life balance before that event happened, but I just, you know, couldn't really put my finger on it. And uh, I think initially I was just so wowed by, you know, tech salaries and having money for the first time in my life after college that I just kind of went along for the ride. But it was around my 30th birthday, actually, when my wife got into a very serious car accident. Luckily, she was okay. But her car was totaled and that was kind of an awakening for us where we kind of realized that we wanted to rearrange our lives in such a way where we had control of our money and our time. I think the main trigger for us was that my wife's job needed her back at work that next week and she was doing physical therapy and everything else. And we were just like, wow, we are not in control. And so that was a real awakening for us. And shortly after that, we did find the uh, Mr. Money Mustache blog and, and we're just like blown away. Travis, you were a bond trader, but for a relatively short period of time, what was it, 25 when you stopped working? Yes, it was. And I had a little bit of a similar feeling, but just over a very short amount of time, right? And I just waking up, taking the train in at 5.30 in the morning, feeling like I wasn't as passionate as I should be going to work every day. And I thought that there's got to be something better and found Mr. Money Mustache early, like a lot of people in the fire community and just decided, okay, I've got to get up to the point where I'm maybe 50% FI based on lean fi methodology. And then I'm just going to go travel around Europe and not really have a plan for what's next. I just have to get out. Chris, you are obviously still working, but what will be the trigger for you to actually leave the workplace? That's a great question. And that's one that I'm, I'm wrestling with quite a bit for the, as long as I can remember really in my career um, in the military, I've always been asking myself, what do I want to be when I grow up and I have to get out of the Navy and, and go do a real job uh, somewhere? So thankfully, I uh, discovered the financial independence movement, uh, like I said, a little over a year ago. And that has pretty much changed the game for me as far as you know how I can sort of take control of all of this and potentially chart a new path here in the next couple of years. Does the pension play a role? I know in the military, they talk about having to be there a certain number of years to fulfill the pension requirements. Sure. And it does. And that's really something I'd like to anchor on if there's time during our our show today. The pension is absolutely a key ingredient to all of this for me, but was never really something that factored into my post-military career plans. It was simply kind of a means to, you know, stick around long enough to qualify for something like that and to see what that does for me. But like I said, um, having discovered FI now, the pension is, is sort of the cherry on top, if you will, of some of the possibilities that FI can provide. 
Hey, listen, I just wanted to like jump in here and thank you for your service, man. My dad was in your branch and was constantly on deployment. I know how like selfless that is, what a sacrifice it can be. Yeah, so really grateful. Thank you for saying that. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, Chris, we all are very much. Joel, so what Chris is talking about is that difficult decision of when to actually pull the trigger. How do you think people know when they're ready to actually give notice? And how did you know? It really depends on what kind of work-life balance you have. And unfortunately, with me, I did not have a good work-life balance. The year that I finally quit, which was 2017, I had been working on a program where I was doing mandatory unpaid overtime. They were preventing us from taking vacation. It became miserable. And I wanted to hit my FI number. At the time, I was obsessed with a specific number. And so I was like, I can do a few more months. I can hold on a few more months, a few more months. But what ended up happening is I I started just the toxic work environment just started taking its toll on me and I was becoming a, a miserable person. And it was my wife who finally told me like, you are becoming mean and angry and those aren't, that's not who I am. And so I decided, you know what, I need to get out of this environment. Even if I'm not fully fi yet, I need to quit. And, uh, When I did, it was just like a giant weight lifted off my shoulder. But for me, I mean, the thing that finally did it, I was on a walk with my wife and she was like, you sound miserable. You should just quit tomorrow. It was, I think we were walking on a Sunday afternoon and she's like, you should quit tomorrow. And it was so sudden and specific. And I was like, you know what? I will. And it was just like ripping the bandaid off, if you will. But again, it really depends on that work-life balance. I should have probably left six months to a year earlier and taken a break instead of looking at it like I had to finish, you know, get to this end goal. I think it would have been much healthier if I just took a break. Yeah, Travis, I'm wondering about this because you cut your bond trading career short well before FI. Is that okay? Is it okay to quit before you've hit that financial mile marker that we always talk about? Yes, I think so because a lot of people, if you're thinking about FI, if you're checking out all these different subreddits and blogs and everything, you're a creative person and you're probably in the top quarter of the US population in terms of potential earning power in general, right? And so if that's you and you're creative, then all you have to do is have, in my opinion, $10,000 or no, sorry, $100,000 in assets and at least $10,000 in the bank. And then if you're willing to live like a lean FI approach, hack the ACA, do healthcare sharing ministries, that kind of thing, then I'm a big fan of people quitting when they hit that level rather than having to wait until they get full FI because then you can take that much needed sabbatical, that break from this rat race, this treadmill that we're all on. And then what you might find is that you find something you're actually passionate about that you love doing that happens to make an income. And that's certainly what happened to me because now, you know, multiple of what I made when I was a bond trader and I certainly didn't expect that. You were so right about this. And I would take that one step beyond People get hung up with a number. They get obsessed with that number. It's a, you know, the 4% rule, quote unquote, and what that underlying principle, you know, is implied to be. You can quit tomorrow. I mean, it's a function of your risk appetite, not a number. If you really want to quit that bad, if somebody really wants to get out of the workforce, there's a door. It's right there and it's not locked. Get up and walk out, but you're not going to because you're kind of by nature a conservative person who thinks, you know, I don't want to risk missing my next meal. I don't want to risk living under a highway overpass and stuff. And it's like, well, okay, so you're compromising. You're compromising. And that's the thing that you really need to work on, not the number. 
I love that commentary because we just had a episode where we talked about risk management and how to process risk. And if you talk to a big earn, he'll scare you to death with all the potential flaws of the 4% rule. So I was going directly to you, Joel. And what were your thoughts about that when you were pulling that bandaid off? Yeah. So I'm familiar with sequence of return risk and I know that I happened to quit like at a time where sequence of return risk was unusually high, but I kind of had to convince myself of what the worst case scenario was. One of the quotes I like to pass around on the blog and everywhere is my worst case scenario is everyone else's everyday scenario, which is I just go back to work. And that actually helped me like understanding that actually helped me a lot you know, pull the trigger. The other thing is to design your lifestyle in a way that reduces the risk. So before I quit, I paid off my mortgage, right? That was something to me that reduced a lot of the fear associated with quitting because I know I have a roof over my head, you know, no matter what. And the other thing was understanding a transition plan, trying to just think through those worst case scenarios before you do it. Chris, what Joel said is, you know, you can always go back to work, but I wonder if the military is a little bit different. Like once you leave the military, can you always go back? And if you can't go back to the military, is the civilian world different enough that that causes quite a bit of anxiety? Absolutely. Going back to the military, first of all, I don't think is really an option. Once you retire out of the service, I could be wrong about that. But uh, my understanding is that's not really an option. But as far as making that transition to a civilian career and trying to translate whatever portfolio that you've built over a military career into a civilian career field, a lot of guys struggle with that. And that is something that has given me much anxiety over the years. And FI has really helped me Uh, Just think about that problem differently and and potentially I could avoid that scenario. Who knows? But yes, to answer your question, it absolutely does give anxiety to, to think about that. Travis, let's talk a little bit about risk mitigation. It seems to me when you're in your early to mid-20s, it's hard to know what kind of risk you're going to face in the future. How does someone who leaves a job as early as you did not really put their future on the line? I mean, your healthcare risks are far lower when you're younger, right? And your tolerance for risk in general is very, very high when you're in your 20s, maybe stupidly so. You know, there's some things that I did in my teenage years and I wouldn't do now, maybe. Like I walked through a border crossing and lived in the West Bank for a little while. In my mid-20s, I was traveling Europe. I spent a lot of time in Ukraine. It was absolutely amazing, right? So in terms of risk mitigation, I think that a lot of times in your 20s, you're dumb enough to just take risks and not think about it a lot. But I think that there's also all these tools that you can use and learn about that, you know, mitigate your risk even further. Like if you're young, you also have a higher capacity for learning, right? And if you're stuck doing a monotonous job and you're wasting your skill set, wasting your opportunity to learn, you're giving up to potential returns from all of these other things you could be doing too. With this risk mitigation, I think, you know, you just have to realize that the risk is not really nearly as high as you think it is if you believe that you're in this, you know, maybe top half or top quarter of Americans in terms of learning and earning potential. I think everyone here so far is talking about risk as if financial risk is the only kind of risk out there. I'd like to put the thought out there that like risk is opposed to what? The risk of sitting at a desk, you know, at a, in a job you hate for 40 years. I mean, that's certainly an extreme kind of risk too. And so there's that value equation that, again, you have to work out in your head before you really commit to this lifestyle. Everybody's familiar with sequence of returns, but one of the risks that doesn't get talked about as much is the risk of working 
way too many years in a job that is toxic and that you hate. I mean, risk is kind of a spectrum. And so on one side, you have one extreme. On the other side, it's two sides to the same coin. And so depending on your work-life balance, I mean, if you love your job, like sure, get some icing on the cake. That's easy to do and you lower all these predictable risks. But I can say being in a job that was extremely toxic, it took me months to decompress and de-stress after that job. And I wouldn't recommend it for anybody. So there's a real risk on that side of the coin as well. Chris, I'd like to flip what Joel just said. There's a risk to staying in a job too long, but there's also lots of risks of leaving the workplace. And one of them in my profession is loss of identity. So as a physician, one of the fears I have as I scale back at work or stop practicing is that I won't understand or won't know who I am anymore once I take the job part out of what I do. And I'm wondering if you being in the military feels the same way. Are you worried that once you leave, there'll be a loss of identity? Absolutely. And, and I've already started to experience that throughout my career. I, we typically move from station to station every two to three years. And for a time that you are serving in a unit with other members of the service, you form lasting, you know, deep friendships with those folks. And then we all kind of scatter to the winds and move to a new place. And you've got to start that process all over again. And frankly, I've gotten to the point where I'm just kind of over that and looking to, you know, the flag somewhere once and for all to establish some roots, establish an identity in the community to kind of find my tribe, as they say. And I am concerned that leaving the military, which has been my identity for the last, you know, nearly 20 years, that that may be a struggle. I mean, again, that's spot on. One of the biggest barriers to someone retiring early that I've found is not necessarily financial. It's that they say, well, I can't imagine what I'd do with myself if I were to retire. That holds just as true for early retirement as it does for traditional age retirement. Who will I be? What am I going to do? I'm going to take this life that I've established for myself and I'm basically going to wad it up and toss it over my shoulder. And what then? You know, I have no idea. That job is my life. And if I throw my life away, I'm going to be terrified, you know, at what could happen. I'd like to take that question or that comment to the next level and ask, especially early retirement dude, Joel and Travis each, since you have already retired, when you are out the cocktail party and someone asks you, what do you do? What is your answer? Personally, I, I find it's interesting when I was 36, you know, I would get the reaction. It's like, what? How did you pull that off? And then when I was 45, people would say, oh, you know, good job. That's a little bit early. And now they just sort of like, oh, yeah, I retired. Cool. It's like, I'm not really early retired anymore. I'm plausibly. Yeah. So I always tell people that I'm an accounts manager and I just don't tell them that it's my own accounts. <laughs> you know, It's not a lie. It's kind of, uh, and then people, if they're financially inclined, they'll ask more. And then most people though, they just completely change the subject after you say that. I remember the day I did it, a couple traders from other desks, like the mortgage desk, treasury desk, you know, FX desk, they came over and they're like, all right, I was trading, you know, uh, taxes and bonds, municipal bonds at the time. They're like, all right, how good is your bonus structure? Like, tell us what's up. Like, what'd you do? Like, did you kill or trade or something? You got a giant lump sum. You got an inheritance. You know, what, what the heck happened? You know, they couldn't wrap their head around the fact of what I was doing. But one thing that I'll say is I think the problem is I was lacking in passion and meaning. And if you lack in those two things, then a job can seem like a bore. And some people, they find that passion and meaning in doing things like, you know, kayaking and drinking beer, playing board games, hanging out with family, traveling, those kind of things. For me, I did that and I really loved it, but I realized, wow, I still want to feel like I'm having this huge impact on the world. And so I've ended up doing what I'm doing now, the student loan consulting piece, just because 
I found were, hey, this is something that I'm super passionate about. My wife had a bunch of student loan debt. And also I can have this huge meaning of actually affecting people who are regular people that are trying to make it in the world who feel totally lost instead of people that, you know, when I was managing taxes at portfolios, that's people that are super wealthy that probably don't necessarily need the money as much, right? Do you consider yourself retired with your student loan planning? It seems like you're awfully busy. Are, are you retired? I don't think that I would necessarily consider myself retired at this point because it would probably be inaccurate to say that because I am so focused on this. I would say that I could quit tomorrow and it would be okay. And I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily at a FI level, my new FI level changed. So the goalposts totally shifted because I right. got married and I got married to a physician and she likes nice things, you know? And so that was really kind of interesting having two different worlds, you know, the FI and non-FI kind of path. And so now our number is probably, you know, she joked the other day, it's 10 million or so. I don't even know what it is anymore. But the point is, is, you know, if you're working and you enjoy it, you don't necessarily have to worry as long as you have enough, right? And so right now I feel like I have enough. So if I quit tomorrow, it'd be fine. I'd probably take you know, a year or two years off and, and figure out what the next step would be that I could have an impact. Yeah, Travis was talking about having the freedom to work on what he wants and quit if he wants. And I have to say that's something that I have realized since quitting my job and since de-stressing is that quitting work forever which I thought was the goal, like I thought that that was the finish line, that's actually not that great, right? Like I did the early retirement thing and then I figured out stuff that I did want to work on. And now coming out of the burnout, I am no longer scared at the idea of, you know what, maybe I will go back to work one day if I find something that I really enjoy. Maybe if I find a good work-life balance, I'll do part-time work in an area that would be a lot of fun. I could not fathom saying that a year ago when I was in the trenches, though, and it was a very different situation. So I think what you think the goal is can change, especially after you've taken some time to yourself to figure yourself out. You know, when Travis discusses cocktail parties and he says that people ask him, like, what was your bonus structure like? Did you get an inheritance or what have you? It's like that really speaks to people believing that financial autonomy has to be bestowed on you by an outside source you know, like you have no control over your own financial future. And I think to a degree, that's a product of kind of some poor education and possibly, you know, without sounding like a conspiracy theorist, maybe some, you know, manipulation, I think in this country, you don't necessarily have to have a traditional job, but for whatever reason, you're having difficulty conceptualizing that. And that's tragic. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. 
LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenues, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date, first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. You know, ER, dude, this idea that financial independence is being bestowed on you, I think definitely occurs somewhat because of the one more year syndrome and the golden handcuffs that often our jobs try to place around us. Chris, I would look at you and say, in a sense, the military has the ultimate golden handcuffs. Do you think it keeps people in place maybe longer than they should be? Yes, absolutely. In fact, I think Doug Nordman speaks to that, or he did at least at the uh, Camp 5 event last fall where I met you guys, where he talked about that one more year syndrome that a lot of folks uh, fall victim to. I've fallen victim to that in the military. I know several of my friends have. Fortunately, the, the military is overhauling their retirement system, so maybe we'll see less of that, but I absolutely can relate to that. Joel, do you see that too a lot? I mean, I've seen you right here and there about the golden handcuffs. Why should we break out of them? Well, it's funny because once you realize that there is no perfect time to quit. So when I was going through the motions, like, should I quit yet? I was like, well, if I stay another two months, I can max out my 401k for the year. And I was like, well, if I stay a month after that, I'm going to uh, get my Christmas bonus. I was like, well, if I stay a few months after that, I can front load my IRAs for the next year. And I was like, well, if I stay a few months after that. And so this kind of keeps going and you realize every two months, there's some reason why you should keep working. I joke with people now. And I say, you know what, if safety is like the concern, you should probably work forever, right? Because it's the safest, best thing you could ever do in terms of a financial decision. But no, that, I realize like how silly that is. When the time is right, you just need to quit. And there's always going to be something on the horizon. And those golden handcuffs are extremely real. I mean, in the tech world, you have vesting periods that try to keep you at a job. You've got contract periods that try to keep you at a job. There's so many things to try to keep you there. And once you realize that there's no good time, then it becomes easier to just pull the trigger. I don't know how many of you guys have actually been in handcuffs. The reason to break out of handcuffs is because they're handcuffs. I have this memory of like, I think one of the worst things I've ever said to somebody was, you know, I'm at the DMV and this woman says, the woman behind the counter is like, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do for you. My hands are tied. And I just blurted out like, what does it feel like to walk around with your hands tied? Instant explosion. But, you know, I really do believe that. I just need to find a nicer way to vocalize. (laughs) Speaking of having your hands tied, I like to transition a little to Travis. You wrote that 25 is the new 65. And I'm wondering, is that realistic? I mean, is it for us, those of us who have the support of this community and who've been lucky enough to have professional jobs and kind of push our future forward so quickly? Or is your average everyday guy able to start thinking about retirement at 25? I think you obviously have to acknowledge that if you're in a position to even write something like that, you're at a certain level of privilege, right? So, I mean, obviously I had a lot of great things that happened to me, parents that cared. I went to decent schools, got a scholarship to a state university. Like there's some wonderful things. I was born in the United States. 
So if you're just acknowledging those things, I do think that a lot more people could do it than think they could. Because if you can get to that point where you have that, even if it's just $20,000 in the bank, just enough to get that year or two year break. I met so many interesting people when I was traveling abroad. I met like digital nomads, people that were working on ad campaigns, people that were, you know, freelancers, all these different things I didn't even know existed. And, you know, you're not going to get that introduction if you're sitting in a classroom for people that have followed a traditional career path either. So I think that 25 being the new 65, I think that what I could say to that is that that could be the day where you get, you know, a few years of corporate experience to just have a little bit of money and a little bit of a capital in your account to do something with. And once you have that minimum level of capital, then you have to go out and actually experience the world and take risks and find out what all's out there. So I think that's my uh, very wise, you know, four or five year later view on my book. Yeah, dude, I think we all are lucky to have the financial independence movement where it is. There are loads of blogs, there are loads of podcasts to listen to. I believe it, you can correct me here, but you fired at what, in 2005? Is that right? That's right. All those blogs weren't out there. Where were you getting the template to early retire? I'm not going to claim to have invented this. Obviously, I didn't. But I did come up with my plan in a vacuum. I had been to MBA school, and I had a pretty good idea of how compound interest worked. I Right about the time that I got into the workforce in 93, 401ks were really proliferating. The pension was being phased out, the traditional pension. And you know, since I was miserable, I started looking at my 401k numbers. And I, I thought, okay, I live on about $30,000 a year right now. So all I need at a 10% rate of return is $300,000, which obviously is, is not so. But as my career progressed, I started being able to make better and better assumptions. And so that's kind of the methodology that I worked from. But yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have the internet to fall back on. I mean, the internet was so much in its infancy that none of the ready access to information was really there. You had to build it on your own. Joe, I'd like to transition a touch. I think actually Travis said in one of his posts, the majority of Americans are unhappy at work and quoted a number somewhere around 52%. Are those people going to be happy if they quit their job? Like sometimes I wonder if we're focusing on the wrong thing. And, and Travis talked about this a little bit with meaning and purpose, but is it really the job that's the issue? Yeah, that's a great question. And a lot of it depends on the personality type. I've always been the type that's very self-driven, self-motivated. So when I quit, after I took a few months to myself to decompress, I started up new projects. I started a lot of creative projects in music and podcasting, in home repair and DIY stuff. I have that self-motivation. Not everybody has that. There's a lot of people who do better with a traditional structure in their day. My wife is one of those folks. She has not quit her job yet, even though she can financially, because she likes what work provides. It provides a structure, it provides activities during the day, it provides social interaction, and she enjoys the environment that she's working in. So we were very different. I will say that early retirement is not the answer for everyone. And it's not even the right answer for people necessarily that hate their jobs, right? The right answer could be just finding something that you enjoy. And I'm seeing that more and more every day now that I'm, I'm working through it. It's just funny when you're in a bad situation, though, all you can see is that light at the end of the tunnel. I need to get there. I need to quit. This is the solution. But really, that's not what financial independence is about. Financial independence is about working on whatever you want and having the power to control your time. And if that means being retired on a beach in the traditional sense, sure, go for it. But I don't think that that's necessarily what the goal is. 
Travis, if you don't know what you want, if you're not sure of your meaning and purpose, is it okay to grind it out? I mean, is there anything wrong with this kind of front loading at the beginning of your career, making lots of money and putting some of those other things on the back burner? I wish more people did it because, you know, a lot of the folks that I'm seeing now is, you know, you don't know what you do. So you go to law school, right? Or you go to medical school or you want to have a career that your parents approve of. So you go become a pharmacist, right? And then what happens is you come out of school at, you know, 30, 33, whatever it is, and you finally start making decent money, but you have a couple hundred thousand dollars of student loan debt, right? And so you basically committed yourself to the next 15 years of working in this profession. So for some people, I'm actually able to take the concepts of FI and apply it to what I know about student loans and show them how, hey, you can actually be FI and retire from your career in medicine, law, whatever it is, in 10 years instead of 30 years because of the way student loan forgiveness math works. So I think that a lot of those people would be way better off if they just went and took a job at a any Fortune 500 company, you know, in a typical, you know, 60K a year kind of job, learned a lot, grinded it out for a few years, then hit the trail and start trying to learn what else is out there. I mean, too many people just take the easy path of just getting more and more credentials after their name. Chris, so you know that retirement may be on your horizon. What type of framework are you laying down now to prepare for your activities post-work? The FI framework has really helped me sort of chart that course, you know, just trying to put more money on my side of the ledger as opposed to someone else's side of the ledger uh, with budgeting and just living, you know, within my means, really. I mean, I know this sounds very basic, kind of 101 level stuff, but I was amazed recently attended a finance workshop here in my community and I was amazed at how many people don't do that or don't understand some of those basic tenets. And I think if you can wrap your head around that stuff, it really does change the game for you. I don't know if that answers the question, but I guess that's how I'm trying to lay down a framework to have that control when the time comes. Well, that's an important framework. And I have a question for Joel because you are a a recent convert from the old framework to the new framework. And how did you go about the mechanics of actually putting that together? And you had the trigger, but then what? what? What did you actually do? My wife and I actually spent quite some time during our five-year turnaround period just trying to absorb every piece of information that we could about this idea of financial independence. I'm a math guy. I'm an engineer. So I needed to understand it at a fundamental level. So there was a point where we were reading an hour or two on financial independence topics every day and more on the weekends. So books, uh, articles, blogs, we really did a lot of work to make sure we understood that this is a thing that can work. It's not always simple to come up with a strategy that is going to be foolproof. And that's something we learned very early on is that what we needed to do was find something that worked for us as a couple. And so one of the things that helped in my case is that because my wife is still enjoying her job, we could transition in a step function where, okay, I step down and then when she's ready, she can step down. So we didn't have to take all the risk at one time. We do though simulate it. So what we do each year is we simulate, okay, if you quit next year, what would our ACA subsidies be? What would our expenses, how would those change? And so we kind of simulate it to make sure that we're not just fooling ourselves, right? Because I've been challenged by a lot of people like, oh yeah, you just quit your job and your wife still works. This isn't the story. But the, the idea is that financially she doesn't have to, she does it by choice. And we do have the spreadsheets and the math behind it so that when we're ready to start pulling the 4%, we've got a great chance of success. I think our latest projections are like 94, 95% success rate. So, 
your own little Trinity study. So I'm curious, yeah. you did this conversion and there's a trigger that got you there. I mean, you're a smart guy, you're an engineer. I've had a lot of conversations with you. You're very astute. Why didn't you know about this stuff before 2012? Yeah. So it's almost conditioned into you where you just have no idea that retirement before 55 is even a thing. I always thought that what retirement was early on was like anybody that retired before 55 either won the lottery or they got a giant inheritance from family or they started like a multi-million dollar tech startup. That's what I thought. And so this idea, this concept was so foreign that an average person with an average income could even accomplish this. It never even crossed my mind. And I had thought of everything. I had thought of in the years leading up to this, hating my job, I had thought of career changes. I had thought of going into full-time real estate and building a rental portfolio. I had thought of all these other things, but nothing along the lines of, you know, just finding a number and living off the investments. You know, because you look at the Fidelity retirement tools and they'll tell you you need $8 million because they're basing it off of your expenses or your uh, income instead of your expenses. And so I think everybody's mind just glosses over when they see eight, 10, $15 million is the number they need. Like, I'm never going to get there. I'm just got to keep on working. And so there really is a challenge of assumptions. When I had that light bulb moment, I realized this was real and this was doable. I put the pedal to the metal. It was the greatest thing I ever realized, you know? So yeah, dude, you know, I'm listening to both Chris and Joel talk about the financial and math framework, but I'm also interested in the emotional framework. Once you retire, what next? And I'm not talking about how you make income and I'm not talking about how you pay yourself, but what do you do with yourself? What do you do all day after you're retired, man? That's the eternal question, isn't it? People think retirement has to equal idleness, that if you're not playing golf or, or sitting on the beach with a Rob Roy in your hand or whatever, that you somehow don't meet this retirement test. And that is just so silly, I think. The early retirement police, unquote, I think, need to relax. I'm a big believer in uh, you know the idea that if you're not hurting anybody, do what you like. So emotionally, early retirement, I think, is you know a mistaken for idleness, and b by a lot of people used as a kind of a glorified geographic cure for problems that don't arise from your work at all. You need to, I think, ask yourself in the moment what's making me unhappy. Your job may not be it; it may just be a proxy for something else that you have to deal with. And I'm going to be quite frank here, okay? I've written about this on my blog, and I try to be very open about it. It was not until I had been retired for six or seven years that I was diagnosed with bipolar 2. Now that I'm in treatment and now that I'm in recovery or whatever you want to call it, I look back on the depressive episodes that I had while I was still working. I'm very grateful for them because that was a tremendous amount of motivation. I didn't know what was giving rise to those things, but I'm sitting at my desk just, you know, black mood for weeks. And that's just motivating me to save more and more and get my retirement plans to be more and more realistic. But then, you know, I went right on suffering from that after my quit date. And so, you know, maybe one thing to do before you retire, work on yourself just as hard as you work on your retirement plan. And as you work for your employer, get that stuff figured out, see a therapist, you know, figure out what it is. Maybe you don't need to retire at all. Maybe you can be perfectly happy where you are, what you're doing. Travis, what I'm taking from what ER Dude is saying is that sometimes post-retirement doesn't actually end up looking like or feeling like what you thought it would be. And I know you've talked openly a lot about travel. And I think even in your introduction, you said at some point you were realized you weren't just going to travel forever. Talk about how plans change once you get there. 
Well, you know, I retired before kids, right? So we're thinking about that and all the changes that that'll cause to happen. I think that the typical person would be happier probably if they just worked a lot less. So, and had tough conversations with their boss. So for example, I think the average takeaway message just beyond the early retirement part is the FI part is probably like 80 90% of the population and then RE is probably 10 to 15 or something. And I think for just in the physician kind of context, because my wife is one and it's like, why can't physicians have very confident conversations with their hospitals saying, I am not taking any more call than this. I am not going to work more hours than this. If you have a problem with that, let me know I'm quitting tomorrow, you know? And so few physicians can do that because instead of the golden handcuffs, they have the golden anvils of, you know, the mortgages, the cars, all these things. And so many people could change their lives if they simply worked 15, 20 hours a week or 25 hours a week and they'd have time for hobbies and other things, right? Like John Maynard Keynes thought that we were all going to be, you know, hanging out doing 20 hour work weeks back in the 30s or 20s or 40s or something. And we're not. And if you look at the reason why, you know, our spending on transportation, housing and basically entertainment like food kind of options skyrocketed and gobbled up all of our savings from increased productivity. I agree completely, Travis. And uh, I actually really strongly believe this, that if people could work 15, 20 hour work weeks, there would be no need for early retirement. Financial independence would happen naturally as a side effect of just healthy financial lifestyle, but it wouldn't mean anything. It wouldn't be that important of a milestone because if you have that work-life balance, that's really the goal. And, and I think that that's a problem, especially in the United States. We kind of celebrate being overworked and celebrate like, oh yeah, I, I worked a 60 last week. It was crazy. I'm so tired. I, I, only got, I only get six hours, five hours of sleep a night, but you know, working, doing the dream. And it's like, no, that's not the dream. That's horrible. For me, I prioritize my health and my sleep and my fitness and not 50, 60 hours of work a week. I really do think that a 20-hour work week, if that became possible for the majority of people, the happiness just would skyrocket. And I know for me, I probably wouldn't need early retirement. I wouldn't have needed to do what I did. Yeah, Chris, why should we not be connecting financial independence with early retirement? I mean, we've had this discussion in the community before, but it almost seems like they're two completely different creatures. Yeah, I think they are. I mentioned, you know, at the start of this that I prefer the life optimization strategy angle of financial independence. I think it forces you to look at life, not just your finances differently. And early retirement, you know, if you can get there is great. And, you know, kudos to those that have figured that out. But I'm less interested in pursuing that. Like if you were to ask me what my fine number is right now, I'd tell you I have no idea. It's really just for me trying to be a good steward of the, the gifts that I've been given and, and to try to, to design a life that is uh, fulfilling. And early retirement, if I could get there, would be great. But uh, it is by no means the, the pursuit for me. ER dude, are you doing things for money now, whether it be blogging or consulting of any type, or have you pretty much said, I'm not doing that anymore? I'm not really chasing money per se anymore. I, people have this misconception that anyone who blogs in this space is earning six figures on it. Man, I'm lucky to earn three in a given month. So there's not the pursuit of money. It's more about continuing to explore and develop my interests than anything else. Our disaster recovery plan at this point has reduced to, well, we'll figure it out, preserve as much of our lifestyle as we can while meeting our minimum expenses. So no, nah, not chasing money, not so much. Chasing experiences. Much more worthwhile for sure. All right, let's give each of you a chance to go around the horn and give your last thoughts on the question, 
imagine yourself talking to the listener of this that's thinking, can I retire yet? What is your advice to someone like that, Joel? So if I could go back and do it again with hindsight, I would focus more on healthy work-life balance and less on racing to the finish line because it made me unhealthy and unhappy. It made my wife very unhappy for quite a few years and uh, it put a lot of stress on me, not just mentally, but physiologically and it wasn't worth it. So I would say if you need to take a break, take some time. I think a lot of great things happen when you take time for yourself. I know Noah and Becky from Money Metagame, they just recently did a gap year and now they're getting ready to get back into the grind and they probably feel so refreshed and have so much more perspective on themselves and on life. And so I would definitely recommend that route as opposed to what I did, which is just grind, 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 which I'm realizing in retrospect was really unhealthy. I would also say to try to design a lifestyle where you can naturally get to financial independence as a side effect rather than just every day thinking about it all the time and looking at the numbers. And it's just anything can become an obsession and it's not the healthy way to do it. That would be my final advice is to work on that work-life balance. And if you need a break, take the break. Avoid the unhealthy obsession of pursuing fire too soon. I like that. Travis, I'll give you the last word as well from you on the question is, what should people be thinking about when they are thinking, can I retire yet? I think most people need to track their spending on youneedabudget.com or mint.com to know exactly what's going out the door. And then if you have $20,000 in the bank and you have a very modest amount of expenses and you sell everything, then you can do anything. And I think a gap year is a good start you know, going to a place in Europe. When I was in Europe, I basically had an idea I'm going to spend less than $50 a day. And so in some of the Eastern European countries, I was spending $20 a day. And some of the Scandinavian countries, I spent a lot more. So I thought, okay, I'm going to spend a lot less time there and I'm going to spend a lot more time in Eastern Europe, right? So that's just an example that your primary thing holding you back is not hitting 25 times your annual expenses. What's holding you back is the willingness to get to 20K in the bank, track your spending so you know where it's coming from, sell everything and take a risk. Mm, I enjoy that insight. That's really good. Chris, this ought to be interesting because you're not quite there yet, but you're thinking about it. What are your thoughts? So my thoughts are to really focus on what you value and figure that out. And I think that's going to take a lot of soul searching and introspection, a lot of maybe hard conversations with your spouse to really figure out, hey, before I retire, before I pull the plug on a career, clearly there's a math problem to solve with that. But I think a better question to ask yourself is, what do I value and how can I focus on that and make that the life that I pursue as opposed to chasing you know, the next paycheck, the next pay raise and or early retirement? Wonderful. I'll look forward to hearing more about how your progress through the decision process. Early retirement, dude, how about you? I said this in an article recently, money is the wrench. It's not the machine. I think that people who are asking that question, can I retire yet, are often people who are just sort of brand new to the lifestyle. And I think need to understand that it's not just a numbers game. Can I retire yet is just as much about your mental and emotional and social states as it is that number. And to those people, I would say, look, getting committed to and pursuing the FIRE lifestyle is a huge commitment. It's probably even bigger than you realize at this point. And it is possible to wreck things that are just tremendously important to you. If you're not careful, you can alienate friends. You can become too much of a like proselytizer and you can come across as judgmental. I mean, there are all these things that you need to think through besides what's my number. 
are you ready to retire yet? Now, if your head's not in the right place, you can have all the money in the world. And if your head's not in the right place, no, you're not. Okay. I'll give each of you a chance to promote what you are working on and where we can find you on the internet. So we'll start with you, Joel. Where can we find you and what's up next for you? Sure. So if you haven't checked out my blog yet, it's uh, phi180.com. I've got all kinds of good stuff on there. I like to focus on the big picture stuff in financial independence and also talk a lot about all of the failures my wife and I have made along the way, which is the majority of the content there. The other new thing going on is my friend Lauren and I actually just launched our own podcast. It's called In Love and Money. And uh, we have a website, inloveandmoney.com. You can find it on iTunes podcasts and uh, Stitcher. And uh, we kind of focus on the point where love and money intersect. So it's kind of a neat perspective on money. Fantastic. Travis, how about you? Where can we find you and what's up next in your life? You can find us at studentloanplanner.com. We actually started a podcast too, just like Joel. So it's a student loan planner podcast. And it's particularly for you if you have more than 50,000 of student loan debt. And you know, our business is really geared towards people that if you need to refinance, we've got the cashback bonuses that you can use to you know, get out of debt a lot quicker and get a lower interest rate. And then if you have a really complex situation, like you owe a multiple of your income and you're just not sure where to start on the FI journey, we can kind of translate that for you to figure out what best forgiveness or you know, refinancing hacks are available to try to get you to that job freedom as soon as you can. Yeah, I imagine you have a lot of potential clients for that business, for sure. Chris, where can we find you? And, or if you want to be found, I guess is the question. And what's up next for you? Yeah, so like I said, I am not a blogger or a podcaster. However, my friend David, who introduced me to this movement and got me on your show today, who writes at phiology.com, he's asked me to write my story or to share an article uh, that he can publish on his site. So I'm in the very early stages of putting that together. And it's actually been sort of therapeutic in a way to kind of take stock of where I was and where I am now and hopefully where I'm going. So don't know when that'll drop, but look for it there at uh, phiology.com. And there's a lot of other good information there too. Wonderful. Early retirement, dude. Let's give you the last word on where we can find you and what is up next for you. Uh, you can find me at earlyretirementdude.com. I try to focus you know, more on entertainment and philosophy and such. comes along with this lifestyle. So what's up next for me is, let's see, it's uh, 1225 where I am. I'm trying to summon up the motivation to go to the gym in about 30 minutes. Uh, it's, it's deadlift day, man. It's like leg and core day. And these are the hard ones of the week. So yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get past the procrastination. That is pretty much what I'm working on right now. So doc, this is one of my favorite conversations because this is something I did not get to make a decision for myself in my story because I was laid off from my job and I was in the process of thinking through when I was going to quit and I had even set a date a couple months out, but I'm not real confident that I would have actually been willing to walk in and pull the lever because I think I would have done the very same thing that Joel was talking about. Well, I want to wait to the end of the year so I can get my 401k match or well, I want to front load my IRAs or I want to, and it just continues on. And I cannot describe how much more open and free my life is now that I'm not having to spend 40, 50 hours a week doing something that what was marginally rewarding, but was not my calling in life. Yeah. I think it's really hard. The one more year syndrome is real. 
And there's always some type of golden handcuff keeping us there. So there are the positive things about staying in work, which is that you get healthcare coverage and maybe you get 401k match and maybe you're getting some stock if you work for a company. All those things tell you to work. But then there's the exact other thing, which is the fear. It's the kind of what if syndrome. What if the market crashes? What if it's a horrible sequence of returns? What if I have you know, a health emergency? All of these things are out there and they're all fighting what should be an easy decision, the decision to move away from a life of work and employment where you're working on someone else's dime and on someone else's time to a much more free existence where you can do what you want. So it sounds simple, but I don't think it is. And, and what I find interesting is it's not just dollars and cents either. There's a whole emotional component of what do I do once I leave work? And retirement itself is not just a nirvana, right? It's not like you retire and you sit on a beach somewhere for the rest of your life and that's just it. I think we emotionally need more and we use work as a crush to fill some of those emotional needs. And then when we rip it away, you actually find emptiness there. And so you, you have to actively work. And I think even ER dude said it himself. He's like, you're going to be remiss if you think you're just going to retire and that's going to be it there's got to be something else post-retirement. Did you worry about those kind of things, Paul? I guess, like you said, it was kind of, you were pushed into the situation. Mm-hmm. But even now with your real estate and what you're building, at some point you may get to a point where you're like, I don't need to do anything if I don't want to. I'll always do something so long as I'm physically able. I wouldn't be happy otherwise. You have to fill the void with something. I just don't want to sit around and stare at the wall or do some of the things that we associate with air quote retirement, which is, you know, golfing or fishing or those. I wouldn't personally find those rewarding for very long. And even travel, which I would love to do. I'm a lot like Travis is like, how many cathedrals can you see before you just want to go back home and live your life? And so I think having a balance is really the good point is there's a lot of aspects to life that you can enjoy. And I really like this idea of working 20 hours a week and being able to design your life where that is possible. I haven't thought about it until now, but that's pretty close to what I've come to is I might work a little bit more than 20 hours a week, but that's about the amount of time that I spend actually head down doing work. The rest of the time I'm enjoying the freedom of being able to be at home and just relax. That was my purpose too, with what I call my half retirement. Mm -hmm. So I left about half of my clinical responsibilities such that I had a lot more free time to pursue things I like to do. And so now I write more. Now we podcast. I do a lot more public speaking. Some people would still call that work. Yeah, It doesn't feel like work to me because it's much more passion driven. And I guess this gets to the point too, that you're probably not going to finish your job and stop working. You're going to finish your job and just do different kinds of work. Work that's a little bit more fulfilling and a little bit more interesting. It may be paid work. It may not be paid work. But one way or another, you're going to fill your time, hopefully, with things that enrich you. And I really think that's what's up next. Doc G and I are going live this Friday at 12 p.m. noon central to discuss this episode. To get on the live stream, join our Facebook group, the What's Up Next podcast, and look for notifications on when we go live. You have to be a member of the Facebook group to be a part of the live stream. We'll discuss this episode, give you some insight on what episodes we're currently working on, and a little sneak peek on the upcoming episode for next week. We look forward to reading your comments, engaging with you further, and seeing you live this Friday at noon on the What's Up Next podcast Facebook group.
All right. Well, this has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we'd like to thank the early retirement dude, Joel from Phi 180, Chris Kleber, and Travis Hornsby. That's a wrap. All right. So, ER dude, you're killing me. You had a post about a shattered windshield in 1993 that like started the process off. I'm positive that was you. That's not a you. Shattered? No, I think what you're thinking of, maybe what you're thinking of, and I don't have a shattered windshield. I had a, uh, I did that post on the history yeah. of fire. No, what you're thinking of is, yeah. Well, okay. So I, I had this girlfriend who was just out of her mind. And her dad came after me, and it was like seriously a situation of crashing my car through a chain link fence. Uh, That's what I'm talking about. Did I know yeah, that wasn't a, that wasn't really when you said when you said car wreck? I'm envisioning airbags and yeah. severe injuries and trauma and stuff like that. You know, and reframing your life as in, wow, I really got a flash of what's <laughs> really important. No, it wasn't. It wasn't I knew I, I was. I was sure I read the right blog. I, I just want to make sure. What it's car wreck? And you're right. It wasn't the about me page, but it was <laughs> by history, something like that. So I think I have an idea based on what Travis just said that uh, we should have a, an episode around, I married a physician, now I can't retire now. <laughs> so Chris, go ahead. You've been waiting yeah, for a while. So Paul, I, I was actually going to make light of your first question until Travis kind of made me feel bad about myself with his passionate <laughs> plea for, for doing meaningful work. But uh, the way I would answer that cocktail party question, or I've often dreamed of answering it, uh, like the quote from Office Space where he says, I did nothing and it was everything I thought it could be. So that's what I hope to be able to say when I go to those parties one of these days. But uh, anyway, just a joke to, to lighten it up. Early retirement now. How about you? Oh, I'm sorry. I said it wrong. Um, Early retirement. Dude. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll fix it. <laughs> Early retirement 16 years ago, I think is what I'm... You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts.